Well, good morning, Frontline family. Welcome to church this morning. To those that are watching online and to those that are in the house today, we welcome you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, our King of Kings, and our Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. We are so excited to have a larger group of our congregation in the house this morning, and we just thank the Lord for this privilege of gathering together as His body. One thing that lockdown has really helped us realize is how much we miss and need to be with our church family. I don't know about you, but I've really missed our fellowship church. And it's often in the absence of something that we really begin appreciating the value of it. And what a precious thing it is to gather together in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Can we just thank the Lord for this privilege by giving Him a great shout of praise this morning? How awesome it is to be with you all this morning. Let's pray together as we commit this time to our Father. Father God, we come to you in the mighty and beautiful name of Jesus. We want to commit this time and this service to you. As we come together today to celebrate your goodness and your kindness and your perfect will for our lives, Lord, we pray that you would manifest yourself in such magnificence and such power and such tenderness that every person listening this morning will be touched by your presence, that every need would be met and every heart that is in need of restoration, Lord, will be filled by your love and overcome by the joy of who you are. Open the eyes of our hearts to see the truth in your word today and let that truth change us and mold us for your glory. Come and have your way in us today, we pray. And as I present your word of truth, Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips and the ears of those listening. I ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen Amen and Amen. So good to be with you this morning, family. And today we're going to carry on with our series, A Better Way. If you can recall from last week's message, from part one of this message, the main aim of the series is to use the Word of God to help us navigate through some of the current issues that we are facing in our world right now. Some things that are happening around the world and even things that are happening on our own doorstep. So essentially the main aim of the series is for us to understand how we as Christians should be responding by, in this world that we're living in by finding a better way to walk, a better way to talk, a better way to stand for something and a better way to respond and express ourselves. Last week we focused on our responsibility as Christians of to suffering and injustice, especially eternal suffering and eternal injustice. And how important it is for us, church, to always put our Christian character on display when we have the opportunity or feel the need to respond to issues of suffering and injustice in our world. And whenever we respond, we want to make sure that people are able to see Jesus at all times and they don't see us. If you didn't catch last week's message, I would like to encourage you to go back and listen because I believe there are some truths in there that we all need to hear. At church today, I want to speak about an issue that is really challenging the very fabric of our society today, which is rebellion and disobedience. Rebellion and disobedience and the results thereof. Last week I said that there is so much darkness around there is so much corruption. There is so much injustice and response to injustice. There is so much hatred and anger. 
Good is being called evil and evil is being called good. And we're at a point in our world right now where you think to yourself, how could it get any worse? Right? How is it possible for mankind to stoop any lower than, than where it is now? How did we get here? How did we get to this place where rebellion and disobedience and untamed sin is, is the norm of the day? And so I want us to have a look at a couple of things today to help us understand why our world is in such chaos. I want to answer the question of how did we get here? And then we'll look at how we should respond and find a better way. Church, what we need to understand and what is important is that what we're facing right now isn't something new under the sun. Because we've seen this type of behavior repeated through many generations. Why? Because of man's fallen nature. For an example of this in Scripture, we look to the first chapter of Isaiah, where God was confronting the nation of Israel, who were drenched in sin and transgression, having rejected their God, and they were on the brink of judgment. And it says from verse 2 onwards, it says this. It says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its own and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged, which means utterly separated from God. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. In the fifth chapter of Isaiah's prophecy, church, there is a specific accusation among all of the sins that were part of Israel's rebellion against God, which actually defines their true condition. Look at what verse 20 says. It says, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And you see, church, essentially this is the type of sin that signals the coming of judgment on a nation, turning truth and righteousness and virtue on its head. Israel was headed for a devastating divine judgment because they had turned against God. They had flipped truth and morality upside down. And in Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah says to them in verses 3 to 4, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly, no one goes to law honestly, they rely on empty pleas, they speak lies, they conceive mischief, and give birth to iniquity. 
And you see, church, this is where humanity in just about every generation and every nation tends to lean toward the reality of the very things that were true of, of ancient Israel. Humanity leans in the direction of calling evil good and good evil, substituting darkness for light and light for darkness, substituting bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is the nature of mankind. To believe lies, to follow the father of lies, to overturn what is right and wrong. This is what we are capable of. And the current situation in which we live and the current state of our world is just another historic manifestation and picture of the distortion of humanity. What does the Apostle Paul say about our fallen nature? He says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18, making reference to some of the scriptures in the Old Testament, he says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. But look at how he concludes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And church, you're probably thinking as I did, I know that man can be evil. And man has committed unthinkable and, and unspeakable sin. But, but how does it get to that point? At what point does man move from sinful thoughts and sinful desires right, to actually committing the deepest, darkest sins, even committing murder? And church, restraints are taken away and there is no fear of God anymore. That's when a nation is leading for judgment or heading for judgment, and all chaos and, and anarchy breaks loose. Verse 18 sums up the pathology of humankind, getting to the point where anything is possible. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, behind all of the wretchedness, behind all of the wickedness in our world today, is the driving reality that there is no fear of God. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6 says, By the fear of of the Lord men depart from evil by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil and that's why it says in Proverbs chapter 23 verse 17 be in the fear of the Lord at all times because where there is no fear of God where there is no sense of supreme and eternal accountability where there's no guilt and no passion you take off the restraints and you free humanity to be what they are the greatest restraint church is the fear of God and beyond the absence of the fear of God church is the rejection of God it's not that they just don't fear God they do more than that they actually reject God Romans chapter 1 from verses 18 says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness what truth is that? Because what, they've, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And you may ask, how is it that they know anything about God? 
Because church, there is an element in every human being that leads them to the reality of God, which is human reason. You know, church, for instance, if you can reason that if you put petrol in your car, your car is going to go from point A to point B, right? And if you don't put petrol on, you're not going to go anywhere. You're reasoning on a cause and effect basis. If you reason that you go to work and you, and you give your best for 8 to 10 hours, you're going to earn money and feed your family. You are reasoning on a cause and effect basis. If you don't work, you're not going to eat. All reason is cause and effect. And if you look at the massive reality of creation and you have any sense of reason, you know that there had to be a creator. Come on. That's what it says in verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You see, church, if you don't believe in God, you reject God against any sense of human reason. And then what happens is you rebel against God, compounding your situation. Verse 21 onward says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They rejected the true God, and even though reason would lead them to the true God, even though reason would define the true God in terms of what they know about His creation and what they know about His law written into their hearts, they reject all of that. And they run from the true God, and they run to false gods, trying to get away and escape the true God. So church, what does God do in response to our rejection and our rebellion? And this is probably one of the most profound passages in the Bible. In verses 24 to 28, it says, Three times God gave them over. He gave them over. That's a legal term which means that he handed them over for sentencing and he handed them over for punishment. And what did he give them over to? First of all, in verse 24, it says, He gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. You see, church, when God gives people over, when that happens, when he gives a nation over, there's a sexual revolution that takes place. Immorality becomes acceptable and you'll find a, a culture swimming in a cesspool of sexual immorality and pornography. And then when God gives them over a second time in verses 26 to 27, it says, He gives them over to dishonorable passions for their woman exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. When God turns a society over because it has rejected and rebelled against Him, there will first of all be a sexual revolution followed by a homosexual revolution. Finally, the third phase in this judgment is when God gave them over to a debased mind. 
in verse 28. A mind that doesn't function, a mind that can't think straight. And church, that's finally when they get to the point where it says in verses 29 to 32, where they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, listen to this, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And church, I've just been trying to set a bit of a foundation this morning, because now that we understand something about the human heart, we understand that it has no fear of God and that it has rejected God, and thus, God has turned humanity over to the consequence of that rejection. We now know why our world is in the state that it's in. And you may ask yourself, you know, Pastor, thank you for telling me that. That's just like dulled my mood a bit. But, you know, how did God expect to get us through this life with any me- measure of meaning and joy and fulfillment and value? How did God ever expect us to mitigate these sinful passions so that we could civilize, that we could socialize and survive and find a better way. Well, church, God put some restraints into human life that are critical to civilization surviving. And when they are carefully and strongly maintained, life is good, and people enjoy life. When those restraints are taken off and assaulted, corrupted, weakened, or even destroyed, life becomes very, very bad. And there are basically three powerful restraints that God put into human life that I want us to have a look at today. There are more, but for the sake of time, I want to focus on these three. The first restraint, church, is the conscience. We know that we all have a conscience. We know that conscience exists because so many people are full of guilt and full of anxiety full of fear and full of dread. You see, church, built into every human being is a moral compass, which is your conscience. Scripture tells us that our conscience bears witness and that our thoughts are either defending us or accusing us. This is a gift from God. You know, church, pain, we should be thankful for pain, right? So I know it's a bit of a trick question. (laughs) But pain is a warning system. Pain says to you, hang on, don't go there because you're going to do some serious damage to yourself. If you put your hand on the stove and you you don't have pain, you're going to burn your hand right off. And your conscience is the same kind of mechanism. It's a trigger that basically acts to warn us that we are disobeying a law. Right? And that leads to fear, that leads to guilt, it leads to dread. And if you allow that to carry it on, it leads to depression, it leads to alcoholism it leads to drug abuse and even suicide if you don't deal with that dread you don't deal with that fear you don't deal with that anxiety at church just like we can mask physical pain by taking pain medication you can mask your conscience by misinforming it and how do you do that you take the true law of god which is written in scripture and it written in the in the human heart and you basically eliminate it 
You denounce it. You diminish it. You remove it and you replace it with another law. And you know what? If you do this continuously, if you do this generationally, you'll eventually raise generations of people whose conscience is now being misinformed by lies. You know, when you think about people, how people are behaving and treating each other on the streets, when you think about how people are killing each other on the streets, when you think about how a terrorist can walk into a big crowd and, and blow up hundreds of people, you think to yourself, where is their conscious mind? How can they not care about the person that they're killing? But you see, their conscience is informed by whatever law they have come to believe. And if you believe all the lies that are thrown about in our society today, if you go to university and they pound those into your mind with all their ideological instruction, if you buy into all those lies, church, your conscience will cease to function because it will be misinformed. And listen to this, church. If you have a society that says, let's get rid of the Bible, that's the first step in having an entire generation of people misinformed about what's right and what's wrong. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons why we are now living in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, when good has been called evil and evil being called good, and, and darkness has been substituted for light. Because the conscience has been misinformed with lies and is now being controlled by lies. And you know, church, instead of your, your conscience being convicted, you're told by society that you, you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel bad about the things that you're doing. Everyone can be their own God. Everyone is the master of their own fate. You create your own conscience. And if that doesn't work, which it doesn't, you turn to alcohol or you turn to drug abuse to try and numb what's happening up here. It doesn't work. The second restraint God has put into human society, church, is the family. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, teach God's law to your children. Ephesians chapter 6 says, raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. This is so important. Now, church, I want to make a statement this morning, and I want, to, want you to write this down or make a mental note of this. This is for parents and for children. Family is the divinely created institution for the development of restrained sinners. Let me say that again in another way. Family is the divinely created institution for the development of self-controlled young men and young women. Family is the divinely created institution for the de development of restrained sinners who by generations of morality, discipline, love, virtue, and obedience become a benefit to society, right? Not a liability to society. And enjoy God's gifts and are grateful. But if you want to destroy a society, first overturn morality so that the conscience is not informed correctly anymore, and then attack the conscience as an illegitimate source of guilt, and then go after the family. Have certain feminist movements that denounce the man as the head of the home so that men are basically trashed and lose any sense of authority in the family. Then, bring in divorce, bring in gender confusion, any and every way possible you can think of to destroy the family, and you have just shattered the divinely created institution 
for the development of self-controlled young men and young women who become adults themselves. And when any society has most of its children been born without a mother and father married in the home, when any society has several generations of people who have rejected God and His Word and have been regularly misinformed about truth and righteousness, and when the remaining realities of the law of God and the human heart are rejected, and when they haven't experienced love and discipline and direction in a stable home life, you have just removed two massive restraints from society. The lawlessness happening in our culture these days is because the restraints have been taken off. The restraints have been taken off a lot of our children. Church, you know what the Bible says about our children and discipline? You spare the rod, you spoil the child. You spare the rod, you hate your child. And I'm not talking about abuse here, I'm talking about discipline. And just like the conscience has to be a threat to immoral behavior, the parents have to be a threat to unruly, disobedient behavior from their children. Without that, society is on the way to absolute mayhem in the streets. There's one more restraint that I want to speak to you about, and that's the church. So the conscience is a personal authority, the family is the parental authority, and the church is the spiritual authority. There is another authority which is government, but we won't speak about that today. Church, what does Jesus say about the church? He says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, He says, you, you the church, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, Jesus is talking to his disciples and with the assumption of a world that is decaying, a world that is dark, a world that is corrupt. He's saying those who follow Christ are to be, slow, be salt that slows the decay and light that diminishes the darkness. Church, just an interesting fact I want to share with you this morning. Did you know that salt has been a critical factor in the development of all civilization? because of its preservative powers. Salt eliminated the dependence on seasonal food and fresh food. It made it possible to preserve food and therefore transport food to different regions. It became pivotal to trade and trade was pivotal to civilization. Salt was once so difficult to obtain that it was so highly valued and many different cultures in ancient times used it as currency. The word salary comes from the Latin word salt because people were paid in salt. And if you weren't a very good worker or you weren't a good employee, you would say that that person's not worth their salt, right? Interestingly, salt was such a critical preservative because it slowed down the corruption of food. 
And like, like the soul, church, the presence of the children of God, the presence of Christian believers, the presence of the church slows down the decay and corruption of society. We are the most precious commodity this world has. Do you know what you're part of? The influence of goodness, the influence of virtue, the influence of humility and unselfishness, kindness and compassion. The influence of love and holiness and godliness restrains the corruption in this world. And yet our corrupt societies do not declare the church as an essential service anymore. You know what? Regardless of what government says, we don't bow to, to Caesar. We bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of this world. But here's a warning. If the salt loses its saltiness, it becomes good for nothing, right? In other words, if the church has lost its purity, it's no longer salt in the culture with godliness. And that's where the church needs to take a, a good hard look at itself. Are we living lives that salt the culture and light up the darkness around us? Are we compromising on speaking about heaven and hell and what is required to live godly lives? Are we calling sin, sin? Or are we just trying to motivate people to make them feel good about themselves so that we can, we can pack our churches? Because if we are the last line of defense in society, we cannot be unstable in our commitment to godliness and to the local body. And we have to make sure that the restraints are present in our lives before we try to guide someone else to put the restraints in place in their lives. So church, I think what I've shared with you this morning and all the scripture that I've, that I've made reference to answers the question as to, as to how we got here. The answer to the question is that certain restraints have been taken off in our world and there is no fear of God anymore. And because of that, man is left to act out his fallen nature and we are seeing the fallout of that everywhere in our world today. And as I start to wrap up this morning, maybe the worship team can come up so long. I want to ask the question, this is for you and I, how do we respond to this? How do we fix this? How do we find a better way? Well, firstly, church, restore the law of God so that the conscience can be informed correctly. It begins with you. Restore the family so that restrained children, restrained and self-disciplined young men and women are the next generation. And restore the church to its full authority in society and call sin, sin. Is it going to happen? We pray it does. Church, I know one thing that's going to happen. The Bible says it will get worse in the last days. It will get worse until the Redeemer comes and He makes it all right. It says in Isaiah chapter 60, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. He's coming. He's coming, church. But before He comes, we're going to be taken out. 
Right? And when we're taken out, Paul says the restrainer, which is the Holy Spirit, is gone. And in a period of time called the Great Tribulation, all hell breaks loose on the earth as described in the book of Revelation. At the end of which the Lord returns and sets up His own kingdom. And it's going to be very bad times. It's going to be very sad times. And yet, church, if we take the steps of restoration now for a better way, it can change. Because sometimes in the past, God has allowed such revivals to take place in this world. God has allowed such times of restoration to take place. If we go back to the Word of God, if we go back to ordered families, and go back to sound, faithful, godly churches, and we put the fear of God before our eyes, it can change. Apart from that, it grows worse until the final restraint is taken away and judgment falls and Christ will then come bring that judgment to its end and establish His glorious kingdom. But I want to encourage you this morning. Before the ultimate restraint is taken out of this world, let's fight with all that we can to restrain what we have been given charge over. Come on. Can I get an amen to that? Church, either way, whether we're living right at the end of the last days or God's going to restore, He's going to bring a a revival and, and bring some restoration, I don't want you to be afraid. Because we serve a sovereign God and He has a perfect plan for your life despite what is happening around you at the moment. And church, if you're walking in His will for your life, I want to take a quote from Pastor John Piper. You will remain immortal on this earth until your assignment is complete. Hear what I'm saying this morning? Or until Jesus comes and fetches you. I don't want you to be afraid. This is a call for us to arise. There is only one that we need to fear. Luke chapter 12 verses 4 to 7 says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before the Lord, before God? And I want you to take this personally for each and every one of you this morning. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Don't let what's happening in our world today bring fear. Let it bring a response to find a better way for the sons and the daughters who understand that they have been born for such a time as this. And that they live with such hunger for the things of God, with such an intensity and passion for godly truth with such a willingness to restore the restraints that it will bring revival to our land. If He did it before, He can do it again. Can you say amen? If He did it before, He can do it again. And church, ask the Lord to do it again in you. Ask the Lord for Him to do it again in our church. Ask the Lord to do it again in our country. If he did it before, he can do it again. If you believe, would you just stand and give the Lord a great shout of praise with me this morning? If you want to be a part of that church.